Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 106, if you remember from our time together last week in the previous psalm, uh, chapters 105 and chapters 106, they form a pair. That's part of the reason Tommy didn't need to change the slide very much, just throw a part two under the bottom there. Uh, Psalm 105, it was all about God's forever faithfulness to his people. And uh, at least in one sense, Psalm 106 here, it's about Israel's consistent unfaithfulness uh, to God. But hopefully by the end of our time here together this evening, you will see that really, really their themes are the same. Uh, both Psalms are about God's forever faithfulness to his people, even though the main topic here in Psalm 106 is his people's unfaithfulness to him. Uh, I mean, we could consider it a different way. Psalm 105 is all about God's grace to his people. Um, God giving us what we do not deserve. And Psalm 106 It's about God's mercy to his people, God not giving us what we do deserve. So definitely in that sense, um, God is forever faithful, whether it be in his dispensing of grace or mercy to us. Let's read it. It's long, just like Psalm 105 is. Uh, Psalm 106 says, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all of his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remember not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy, and the waters covered their enemies, There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and they tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, and the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and Abiram and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Oreb, and they worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. 
Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. And they joined themselves also unto Baal Peor. They had ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. But then stood up Phineas and he executed judgment. And so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but they were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. And they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they defiled with their own works and went to whoring with their own inventions. And therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and they were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray before we look at this verse by verse. Father, we come to this uh, beautiful hymn you've given to us here. And the only reason it's beautiful is because we do see your mercy in it. Uh, after consistent unfaithfulness by your people in the Old Testament, time after time, you were always merciful when they repented and they turned in faith to you. And uh, Lord, I pray tonight that um, this is not just some history lesson, but it's, um, it's something that we are convicted of ourselves. Because it shouldn't take long before we see some of the same struggles in our own spirit, in our own heart. But God, we're so thankful that we know we also have the forever mercy, your forever faithfulness in your mercy. And uh, because of that, you always welcome us home. Teach us tonight what you are um, trying to get us to understand here in Psalm 106. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Psalm 106 opens up with, with uh, praise and then a prayer in verses 1 through 5. And actually, it starts out just how Psalm 105 ends. If you look at the end right above there, uh, it says, Praise ye the Lord. And in verse 1 here of Psalm 106, Praise ye the Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the word hallelujah. Um, depending on your translation of the English Bible, it might even just say that. It might say hallelujah. And God calls us here in the first verse to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So please keep in mind, um, it is God's mercy that is the theme of Psalm 106. Now, not yet, but, but beginning in verse 6, the content is going to turn exclusively to this long listing of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Don't let that get in the way of you being able to discern that it is God's forever faithfulness and his mercy that's highlighted in this song. 
His mercy endures forever. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, since man ceases not to be sinful, it's a great blessing that Jehovah ceases not to be merciful. Amen? We are full of sin. God is full of mercy. And then verse 2 asks this question, who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all of his praise? And the implied answer is no one. (laughs) But that shouldn't keep us from trying. Uh, what's going on here is this. The psalmist, he's truly in the middle of praising God here in verse 2, but all of a sudden he realizes that his praise is not enough. Uh, he could go on singing forever, and he could never extol all of the beauties and glories of God. Uh, we have songs we sing that communicate this same thing. Um, the one that says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. 10,000 reasons, right? And forevermore, because it's not even 10,000. It's infinite reasons to praise God. Um, God's mighty acts, that was the focus of Psalm 105. It took 45 verses to describe uh, those. God's mighty acts to us, they are so many that they're beyond description. That's the point here. Uh, We could go back to singing right now, and we will in just a little bit, uh, but we could sing for the rest of our lives. And and we would never uh, fully declare We could never fully show what it says here, show forth all of God's praise. Now, uh, we come to verse 3. It's not a change in subject matter. Let's read that again. It says, blessed are they that keep judgment or justice, and blessed is he that doeth righteousness at all times. God is telling us here that it's when we keep judgment, when we do what is right. It's when we do righteousness at all times. It's then that we're praising God most And we're praising God best. The preacher A.W. Tozer said it this way. If your life does not worship God, then your words, your lips do not worship God either. Uh, In fact, God tells us in the book of Amos that that such worship is nauseating to the Lord. Uh, When we give him praise from our lips, but our lives don't back that up. Uh, This opening section then closes in verses 4 and 5. Uh, moving from praise to a prayer. This is a prayer now, and the psalmist prays this. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest to thy people. Visit me with thy salvation. As usual in in Scripture, especially in the Psalms here, remember isn't um, because it's even possible for God to forget even one of his people. Uh, In the word remember, in the Hebrew, it's saying, uh, God, come and act. God, uh, come and save me. And and the reason for verse 4's prayer, or the reasons, they're listed There in verse 5, because the psalmist wants to see the good of thy chosen. He wants to rejoice in the gladness of God's nation, of God's people. He wants to glory in God's inheritance that can only come from a personal relationship with God. Now, earlier God said that it was the praise of a consistent, obedient life that worships him best. But we should never err in thinking that our obedience is, is a condition to get God's love or to earn God's love. The Bible never describes such a thing. Um, How God describes it here in verse 5 is is that the praise of our consistent obedience before God, that is the sphere in which you and I can enjoy. We can best enjoy God's love. That's when we truly see the good that God delivers to those who are his. Our obedience is where we find joy and gladness. It's not found anywhere else. Our obedience is where we can glory in everything that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. And the praise and the prayer, they're now paused here for about 40 verses. Verses 6 through 46 contain this historical record. We read it. It's not a happy one. 
It's a record of how God's people responded to God's forever faithfulness, to God's great grace. It's a record of their unfaithfulness. And in it, we see penitence. Eventually, they would turn back to God. We're going to divide it up how God's word does here in sections pertaining to some historical occurrence. If you have a study Bible, you could probably look to the left or right, uh, and it'll give you references in Exodus or or Numbers where these things actually happen and are described there. Um, God's people were presented with a choice, and they chose not to believe what God said. Unless we think that this is a 40 or so verse opportunity to point fingers. Look how this section starts in verse 6. He prays this confession. We, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. At best estimates, this was written centuries after any of these things actually happened. And so as we go through these sections of the unfaithfulness of God's people in the Old Testament, it should not be too difficult for you and I to see ways that, that we mirror these sins in our own lives at times, but then also ways that God has been faithful and being merciful to us anyway. The first section is in verses 7 through 12, and we find the children of Israel, that they're fleeing Egypt, they're fleeing its pursuing army, and they arrive at this great obstacle of water. That is the Red Sea. And they think, what now? And then murmuring and complaining um, rise up. Complaining against Moses, complaining against God. Have you led us out of Egypt just to be killed here? And they said, it would be better if you never done that, if we were still back in Egypt. And forgetting the miraculous deliverance that God orchestrated in those ten plagues and how he freed them from bondage in Egypt, they... They thought that they came across something here that was too big for God to handle. And then what verse 7 says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remember not the multitude of my mercies there. And listen, that is going to be a major cause of unfaithfulness for God's people in every section that we're going to go through here. Um, They forgot who God is. They forgot what God had done. You know, we're on Psalm 106 now. I think it's been three years since we started in the book of Psalms on Wednesday nights. Have we learned how essential remembering who God is and what God has done for us, how essential that is if we're ever going to leave fear and rise to faith? I mean, that's been a a pretty constant theme. Uh, Every once in a while, Tommy has to make a new slide. A lot of times it's moving from fear to faith so often is the subject matter of these different songs. We need to recognize the truth in verse 8 about God that's applicable to all of his saving acts, including the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Foundationally, God saves us for his name's sake so that he might make his mighty power to be known. You know, that's a favorite description of why God saves us in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Yes, the salvation that we have from God, no doubt, it is a wonderful display of God's love for us. But at the root, the the most foundational level, God is gracious. God is merciful to us. God saves us for his name's sake so that he might make his mighty power to be known. Do you understand that the Lord jealously guards his name and his honor? No one can ever say of the Lord that he, he will not or he cannot save. Aren't you glad for that? That's why we lifted up these prayers at the beginning of this service. We have testimonies. I can look around. I'm not going to call on anyone. 
but there's literally testimonies in this room that prove that very truth. Let's go to verse 12. That's where this section wraps up. It says that after God parted those Red Sea waters and his people were saved from the Egyptian army, it says there in verse 12, it was then that they believed his words and they sang his praise, and they did. But that's not really faith, is it? Not at that point. They had already been delivered. And God saved them so that the next time they met some obstacle, the next time some trial or some tribulation came into their life, some temptation, they would have evidence to believe God's word and to trust in his saving power. There's a lesson for us there, church. Is it that way with you? Because every one of us who has a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we know of and we have experienced the miraculous works of God, even our being saved. But do you ever find it that, that at some new sign of any kind of opposition, we forget what God has done and we're soon, we're soon doubtful about his goodness or his power in what we suppose to be a hard and, and painful life? In his great mercy, God saves us again. And then we sing his praises, but then we soon forget his deliverance just like they do here. That's exactly what we're like far too often. Verses 13 to 19, they give us... The next section, two wilderness wandering occasions of unfaithfulness among God's people. He had been providing them manna every day. Every day. Um, Miracle food. All they had to do was go out and harvest it. It wasn't good enough for them. Murmuring and complaining, doubting God's goodness rose up. And once again, their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Moses, we had everything there. We had a whole produce section of vegetables. We could have whatever we wanted. And meats, they were, they were everywhere. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were back in Egypt? Isn't it interesting that they only remembered that part? They didn't remember the not-so-wonderful parts of Egypt. <laughs> and so God sent them quail. He did. In Numbers 11, he gave them what they wanted, but he also gave them something else to discipline and teach them. He gave them enough quail to make them sick. And it says in Numbers 11 that that while the meat was still in their teeth, they did. They had a wasting disease. A plague was sent among them. We need to realize that when you and I, when we allow ungodly cravings to rule our lives, God might just give us what we desire and the consequences along with it. Um, Numbers 11 said that that sickness led to the death of many there in the wilderness. In his commentary on this verse, Pastor David Guzik writes that God's people called that place Kibroth Hatava. In Hebrew, it means graves of craving. Don't let a craving become your grave. The second wilderness wandering episode of unfaithfulness among God's people is in verses 16 to 18, and most of you know that account as well. That's when Korah, And Dathan and Abiram led a rebellion against the leaders that God had chosen, Moses and Aaron. And verses 17 and 18 close that section with what happened to them and their followers. The earth opened up and swallowed them. And all those who supported them in that rebellion were consumed by fire. It's not a good thing. This list isn't given chronologically. Um, Verses 19 to 23, they direct our thoughts back to Exodus, um, back to Horeb, Mount Sinai, where Moses is meeting with God up on the mountain. And it took too long, I guess, because God's people asked Aaron to make them a golden calf to worship. Exodus chapter 32, it describes God's reaction. (laughs) He told Moses, stand back, I'm going to wipe them all out. 
I'll start over my covenant people with you, Moses. And um, that man of great meekness, we're told here he interceded for God's people. Who once again, as verse 21 just says, that they forgot God, their Savior. Moses prayed to God on behalf of God's people. And the Lord honored that act of faith by Moses. Do you ever wonder about the power of prayer? Sometimes maybe we don't get an answer right away or it's not the one that we were hoping for. Uh, boy, we ought to understand the power of prayer right here. It turned away God's righteous wrath. And Spurgeon said this, how diligently then we ought to plead with the Lord for this guilty world and especially for God's own backsliding people. We need to intercede for them just like Moses did here because there's power in prayer. Before we leave this section, would you look again at verse 20? It says, thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. I thought this was interesting because so often when I think about idolatry or any type of sin, it's like we're stealing glory from God. That's not how God describes it here. He says in verse 20 that they changed their glory. They changed their glory. You realize that, that just as Israel's idolatry, it, it doesn't debase God. It doesn't. It debases us. When we sin against God, when we put anything in a place over him or anyone in a place over him, it doesn't debase God. It debases us and who he created us to be. We become less than what God created us to be. Verses 24 to 27, they go back to that time when God first brought his people to the promised land. Brought him right up to it. He said, go in, possess it. I've given it to you. I'll be with you. And what was their response? You remember. They sent in 12 spies, right? They had a little song when I was a kid in children's church. Ten were bad and two were good, right? They sent in 12 spies. And 10 of them came out and said, no way. There's giants in there. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome land. Beautiful. We can't do it. We, we can't. And they were right. They couldn't do it. But God told them that he'd be with them. And he promised them it. He had provided them it. Only Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this, guys. Let's do it. Yeah, it wasn't faith. It wasn't obedience. They didn't believe God's promise. They didn't trust Moses. They didn't trust the report of Joshua and Caleb. Once again, it was murmuring and complaining. It was the same old, why did you bring us here? It would have been better if we were back in Egypt. And look how God describes their unfaithfulness in verse 24. God says, this is for you. Go get it. And it says here that they despised. They despised the promised land. They despised what God had provided for them. Why? Because they believed not his word. You know, before they went into Canaan, uh, when God brought them to it a second time, after the 40 years of wandering, uh, verses 28 to 31 describe when God's people joined themselves to a fertility cult. It was idolatry. A nearby nation. It's described in Numbers 14. There was extremely wicked immorality. That was part of that worship. But there was a righteous fellow named Phineas, and his zeal for the Lord and stopping the sin of God's people, it kept God from destroying all of them in judgment. If you look at verses 32 and 33, and we know this account well out in the wilderness. Uh -oh. They've already experienced years earlier God providing water from a rock one time. Israel complains that God wasn't good enough or that he's not powerful enough to do it again. What did God do? In his great mercy, despite their unfaithfulness, he did it again. I want to summarize verses 34 to 46. It speaks really of that judge's cycle. 
which went so far beyond the book of Judges, all the way to Malachi, and honestly, all the way to you and I today. You remember that cycle? First of all, Israel would sin. <laughs> they would fall into idolatry. They would worship other gods. And then in discipline, God would, he, he would, um, in order to bring them back to him, he would allow some nation um, to be captured or, or to capture them. And then in their misery, in captivity, they would repent and they would cry out to the Lord and they would turn back to the Lord and then God would save them. And then back to number one, <laughs> they would sin again over and over and over. You know, every time the Israelites fell to the sin of idolatry, they eliminated the one thing that distinguished them from all the rest of the nations. And it's the same today with God's people now. When we put anyone or anything in the place of God, we eliminate that which distinguishes us we obstruct what avails us of God's joy and blessing, and we remove what protects and, and provides for us. What a depressing mess, huh? All this is. Um, they were a mess. So are we. And I'm so glad this psalm has verses 44 to 48. Because um, this long list of Israel's unfaithful acts toward God, it is depressing, especially for me and to the spirit-softened heart that reads it here tonight. We should all recognize in me in this. But that's not the focus of Psalm 106. It's against this dark, long list of God's people's unfaithfulness to him that the forever faithful mercy of God shines so brightly. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, Nevertheless, God regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant, and he repented according to the multitude of his mercies. That's who our God is, church. When we turn back to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he's merciful, he's full of mercy. That is who God is for us in Jesus Christ. And after this long list of the unfaithfulness of God's people, we come to verses 47 and 48. And this is where we find the purpose behind their repentance, but also in behind God's great mercy. Verse 47, he cries out, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name, and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. If you underline or highlight things in your Bible, I think you ought to underline that little word too in verse 47. Why is God forever faithful? And we talked about this last week. Why has God saved me? Why is God so good to me? Why is he merciful to me? Well, it's two, or so that we will give thanks to his holy name and so that we will triumph in his praise. God is so merciful to us so that the next time we come up to some Red Sea in our lives, we will remember who he is. And what he's done. We'll believe what he's promised to do. God's merciful so that the next time Satan comes to us with some craving, we have faith enough to believe what God says and we can tell the devil, no, nah, I'm good. Don't need that. Don't want that. It's so that when he brings us to what he's provided for us, the, the promised land that is the Christian life, victory over sin, if we'll just go in and possess it, Doubt and fear have no power there anymore. That's why God's merciful. 
Like Joshua and Caleb, we see what God has provided for us as good, and we say that it's good, and we enter in, and we possess it, and then we live in the enjoyment of what God offers us in Jesus Christ. Praise closes this psalm in verse 48, um, just as it opened, and God's worthy to be praised from everlasting to everlasting. That's what it says here. And it says, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. So this psalm, Psalm 106, it ends book four of the psalms and has taught us once again how vital it is that we remember who God is and what God has done in the past as a guide for our present and what we should do in the present. Um, This psalm is not an occasion to look down on those who are unfaithful that have been listed here. It ought to cause us to consider the corruption that's in every one of us. God's great mercy on display here time and again in the saving of his people. It should, it should have resulted in them turning back to God and then staying on track with God. Don't make that same mistake, Christian. Let his mercy do what it's designed to do. We cause you to give thanks, to triumph in his praise. And seeing our own sinfulness reflected in this list of unfaithfulness should move us to pray the prayer of verse 47, save us. Oh, Lord, gather us back from the heathen. That's ours in Jesus Christ. God wants Psalm 106 to result in faith in our life, not the faith of verse 12 where uh, we're willing to believe God can do it after he's already done it, but, but a faith like Caleb and Joshua's. Look at what God's provided. We can trust his promise and his provision because of his past faithfulness in our lives. Yeah, there's giants. Yeah, there's obstacles, but he's good enough and he's powerful enough to come through on everything that he's promised. He always has been, always will be. How do you get faith like that? You don't forget his works. You don't forget his word. You choose faith over fear. You choose faith over the counterfeit, never fulfilled promises of the devil. You know, there were two bright spots in this psalm, in that long list. Moses interceded for God's people in faith. And Phineas did it in verse 30. Who will be a Moses or a Phineas? Who will take God at his word? Who will act based upon God's word and his works? You know, what's more awesome is that we have one who interceded for us who's far greater than either of them, don't we? Jesus Christ is our interceder. It's what he's doing right now. It says in Hebrews. (laughs) That right now he's at the right hand of God and he ever lives. This is his sole purpose up there. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Yeah. It's the greatest evidence. Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of God's forever faithfulness in his mercy to us. Trusting in the salvation we have through him, um, Jesus is the greatest reason for us to praise ye the Lord, as verse 48 says. And it says, let all the people say amen. Well, yeah, a couple of you did. Amen, right? Let all the people say amen. Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Tommy, praise team, would you come up and, and help us do that with a couple of songs here? Let's stand together.